0: Run the questions down. We'll see how far we get, man. Hi, my name is Ron Carter. Born in Ferndale, Michigan, which is about 25 feet from the Detroit border.
1: (laughs) This is Jazz Stories from Jazz at Lincoln Center. I'm David Gorin. On this edition, Ron Carter traces his path from beginning cellist at age 10 to becoming one of the most recorded bassists in jazz and pop.
0: You know, I'm from a large family of uh, eight kids, another brother and six sisters. There was always music. We had a piano, and my sisters played piano forever, so it was always that. And of course, radio was real big in those days, in the 50s and, and uh, 40s, and so there was a constant source of uh, music from the radio stations. But my parents didn't play anything, they just encouraged us to play what we heard. Yeah, my father was insistent that we get together a couple times a week, and. It's a musical library.
1: You always heard the one you love, the one you shouldn't hurt at all.
0: He liked the Mills Brothers, you if that's not dating you, because it's not dating me, and and uh, that kind of music was of interest to him. and. Um, my sisters all sang in church real loud, so they had good voices for the hymnal. So we were kind of, c- occasional hymnal, case the little, uh, Mills Brothers type tune, uh, ultimately uh, Broadway show kind of tunes, you know. But general stuff, not jazz at all.
1: Although his hometown of Detroit has the deserved reputation of being an especially tight-knit and nurturing jazz community, Carter wasn't really part of it growing up. But his studies at Detroit's fabled Cass Tech put the music in reach.
0: We were told by my cello teacher that Cass Tech had a great music program, and if I should be so inclined, I should audition as if I could get in. I did, and I did. <laughs> and fortunately, musicians who turned out to be jazz players came from there. Not that they had a jazz program. They didn't. But they have, there's enough musical content in the theory class, and you had harmony class, you had piano class, you had either orchestra and or a band. So you had a full plate of musical involvement. So it was easier for those who were interested in jazz playing, at the time I wasn't, to be able to transfer this information from the classes as a 16, 17-year-old junior in high school to making gigs with Barry Harris and... Wherever else was around, Uh, Donald Byrd went to school there, Paul Chambers, uh, a lot of jazz players, Uh, Kirk Lightsee was my schoolmate, and a lot of guys came out of there as a result of the basic, complete music training that they had. Once I switched from cello to string bass and and got a, a scholarship to go to Eastman School of Music, the scholarship only covered room and board. It didn't cover books or expenses, you need strings, you need clothes, you need extra books, you need instrument repair, you need transportation money, you know. And uh, my neighbor, who lived half a block away, was a saxophone player who I knew very well from growing up with him. And he was a real Paul Desmond fan. And I mean, he's also a go-getter, in that he would find gigs to play in Detroit. And uh, he ran into this connection that he found that would hire him to play the weekend parties at the sororities and, and uh, fraternities in Detroit. And when the bass player of his choice wasn't available, he said, hey, man, you ought to get involved in this stuff. I said, what stuff? He said, this. I said, well, I don't know those tunes, man. He said, well, look, we worked that out. So we sat down and learned some tunes together. And when his friend, who was a known bass player for the band, couldn't make it, uh, I would go in there and do the best I could. Subsequent to that, as I, my second year at Eastman, I began to get more involved with the local musicians who were jazz players. And uh, my junior year, there was a place in the to called the Ridgecrest Inn. That was one of the stops going from Canada to New York. And uh, being part of the house band, it was free for me to hear this music all night. So uh, uh, I got a chance to play with Sonny Stitt, and uh, Slim Gaylord, and and, uh, meet Sam Jones, and Ike Isaacs, and and, uh, hear Teddy Coddick playing with Horace Silver, and and, uh, along the way I met Chuck Mangione, whose parents were really jazz fans, and who would have musicians come to the house for lunch or dinner, so I met Dizzy, and I met James Moody, I met Leo Wright, all these people at their homes for lunch. So I was kind of thrust into the jazz environment just because it was there, and that was the space that I stepped into.
1: During his studies at Eastman, Carter began to suspect that he wasn't being directed towards professional opportunities in classical music because he was African American.
0: I felt that there was a a, a draft to this blown the wrong way for me. <laughs> there were uh, bulletin board postings about orchestral um auditions for fresh instruments you know uh, I was never encouraged to take the building board seriously you know the jazz community said look they just want to have get back to the coffee house man they're not serious man and, and talking to Sam Jones he said look in New York man a good bass player can always work so I said, well that sounds like a plan so when I graduated June 59 I moved to New York August of the same year Well, I was on the way to being a decent bass player, and, and, and uh, at the time, uh, there were a lot of clubs in New York, there a lot of recordings going on, there was a lot of commercial work available, and, and uh, the guys who were doing that stuff couldn't do them all at one time. You know, the, Mr. Davis was here, Sam Jones was here, George Bevy was here, uh, uh, Bill Henton was here, I mean, a busload full of wonderful bass players here, and there was enough work for everybody to go around.
1: Carter's first gigs were with the drummer Chico Hamilton, and his first recording was with the alto saxophonist Eric Dolphy. During the 60s and 70s, he worked frequently for two iconic jazz labels with very different approaches to a session, Blue Note Records and Creed Taylor's CTI label. With Blue Note, there was always a
0: rehearsal. There was a place called Len Oliver's on 89th and Broadway. And the band for the week, whoever it was, would get there and rehearse from two to five for three days and go to Rudy's and spend all day on Rudy's, which is probably a Friday, until the record was done. Uh, With Creed, we'd go in there and not knowing what to expect other than who the musicians were. Uh, We wouldn't know the tunes, the arrangements would be kind of thumbnail sketches by the current arranger, whoever that was, and our job was to make these arrangements and this band sound like we'd been together for a while. Both tremendous challenges. Well, you know, the chance to play with Freddie Hubbard at, any, at, at these dates, or George Benson, or Billy Cobham, or Grover Washington, or Esther Phillips. I mean, these are dates that, that man, that, that, again, I'm going to school free, I'm learning how these, how, how these guys compose these tunes, and how are they able to maintain this enthusiasm on the second take, and, and uh, how are they able to put this stuff together with a, a strange band, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just amazing to watch these people. Strangers, basically, because I hadn't played with Freddie Hubbard before, and, and uh, Billy Cobb was new to New York, basically, you know, and, and uh, I enjoyed playing with Herbie, but I hadn't played with Mel Jackson very much, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lesson on how to make these guys work, man, and, and uh, uh, it was a great lesson for me, each of those records, to see how these full premiere musicians
1: sat down with no rehearsals and made these diamonds. That was the bassist, Ron Carter. Support for Jazz Stories comes from Jazz at Lincoln Center. Consider becoming a member or coming by for great live performances. You can find ticket information and our Jazz at Lincoln Center performance programs with Wendell Pierce at JALC.org. Our Jazz Stories podcasts are also at iTunes. Jazz Stories are produced at Murray Street by Alexa Lim and me, David Gorin. Thanks for listening.